0: This is Skillet, the podcast where we cook together and listen to each other. I'm Jen. And I'm Cass. And there's a word that comes up a lot here on Skillet. Comfort. The idea of comfort food, something that makes you feel safe and secure, whether it's with yourself or with your family or with your friends. It's like a hug on a plate. We've noticed that everyone's comfort food is different. For some people, it's a bowl of chicken and dumplings.
1: For others, it's a blueberry hand pie fresh from the oven. So what's your comfort food, Cass? It kind of depends on my mood and how much time I have, but if I'm in a pinch, I like arroz con leche. Just a bowl of white rice and warm milk with a little cinnamon. Ooh, that sounds good. For me, I love a roast chicken. It reminds me of Shabbat dinner at my grandmother's house, and it's something I still crave on Friday nights when the sun goes down. For today's storyteller, comfort tastes like a bowl of kichidi, a porridge of rice and mung beans with potatoes and super cozy spices. It's a common dish in many Indian households. It's often a baby's first meal because it's soft and easy to make. For farmer
0: and food activist Sunil Patel, Kichidi brings back memories of being in his mother's kitchen.
1: She taught him how to cook, and she's still known as one of the best cooks in the Indian-American community where he grew up. Sunil is all about hospitality. When we went over to his house in Asheville, North Carolina. Just around the corner from where I live.
0: He made us feel welcome from the moment we walked in his living room. The windows were open, the fall
1: breeze wafted through the kitchen. But it wasn't a sleek gourmet kitchen. There was an electric stove, a well-loved round table. It was actually kind of a lot like my kitchen. So we felt right at home. We wanted you all to get to know Sunil because he has a heart for justice and a passion for fresh produce. He's a real vegetable nerd. He'll tell you about the origin of each ingredient, down to the very neighborhood where he grew it. He's grown food in pretty much every part of town where I've lived here in Asheville, North Carolina. And Senil hosts Indian suppers, where he shares the dishes he grew up with based on what's fresh from the farm. He's also involved in several food justice projects and works to increase access to fresh fruits and vegetables in low-income areas of our city. He's a really passionate guy, and for someone who invests so much in his community, he's pretty humble and soft-spoken. We enjoyed getting to
0: know him, and we
1: think you will too. We'll have Sunil take it from here.
2: My name is Sunil Patel, and we're making kichidi. Growing up, at least once a week in my household, it was a vegetarian household, so beans and rice were part of every meal, but once a week we would do kichidi, which is beans and rice cooked together and spiced up in my specific mother's way. And my sister and I just loved it. It goes with a kind of savory uh, roasted cumin buttermilk. You kind of just like spoon that on as you're eating it. And both my sister and I just love yogurt products of all sorts. <laughs> and so like being able to just like eat both of those things together is just like so good. Um, it's super hot. Yeah, super comforting. I'm peeling garlic. <laughs> this is garlic. a. Grew out in West Asheville. This variety is really cool because it's like so easy to peel. The drier it gets, like as it stores, the easier and easier it gets. Like sometimes the peels just like slough off. Okay. My mom usually just cuts them into little cubes, like really teeny little cubes. But I tend to smash it first just because it's a little faster.
0: What are your parents like?
2: They're really sweet. They created a culture of expressing our love through food. They moved from India in the mid-70s to the States. My dad was a civil engineer, and um, my mom actually was a housewife for most of uh, uh, half of our childhood. um, And then she went to school and uh, became a lab technician.
0: Do you know why they wanted to come to the U.S.?
2: Because it was a lot easier to make a safe, secure way to raise kids. (laughs) That's, like, the main reason. And, like, that's, like, the driving, driving reason. So I consider myself and my peers in that generation, like, so blessed for having that kind of dedication from their parents to, like, such an extreme extent. America was, like the way to like make the big bucks and you know make the American dream the immigrant American dream happen kind of thing you know and so that was probably part of it too but I think in India like the the long-term kind of security and the long-term potential and all that stuff was less than it could be here if you just got a degree and got educated in in a profession So we're gonna soak a mix of jasmine and basmati rice with mung beans. I do this also with a number of handfuls. (laughs) So I'm doing two, let's do three handfuls of, it's a mix of like mostly jasmine rice and some basmati rice. Now I'm washing it. uh, it's not as important with khichdi to wash because you end up with like a really porridgey um, thing. But getting the starch off when I make regular rice, so the water runs clear, is like a thing that's normally done. But with khichdi, you can keep some of the starches in. I'm just washing it to kind of get any like dust that might be in there or whatever out. Uh, one of the biggest memories is. Um, that show Mission Impossible. Like every Mission Impossible day of the week, we would have Kichdi and Mission Impossible together. <laughs> so I think about Mission Impossible the show like way back in the 80s maybe, um, quite often when I'm eating this. Uh, so we're gonna chop some green chilies. I wanted to get some Indian varieties of hot peppers cause uh, green hot peppers are very integral to Indian cooking cause the Green chilies, they give off, like, they have the spice, but they have this, like, green flavor to them that, um, like, a red chili would have more of a sweetness to it. And I got these Indian varieties because uh, they come in, like, a whole variation of um, spice levels. And you actually don't really want, like, a super, super spicy pepper for a lot of things because you want that green flavor to be in there and you can't over-spice things. And so the hot peppers were grown in Montford, and the onions were grown in West Asheville.
0: I like that you can name the providence of the ingredients on neighborhood here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Not just region, or state, or you know, it's like literally the neighborhood, this neighborhood, that neighborhood. Yeah, it's fun to
2: be able to pinpoint it to such close locations, I get some potatoes washed. My mom usually uses russet potatoes, but I just kind of use whatever I got. Uh, but it's a mix of varieties: um, red gold, and mountain rose, and red thumb fingerling potatoes. And these
0: little ones are great because you don't have to chop them.
1: I just wanted to say they're they're really cute.
0: <laughs> they are
1: extremely adorable. They're almost like. Um, like little buttons <laughs> they're tiny tots <laughs>
2: <laughs> these red ones uh i guess some of them are small because but they have like a pink inside which is kind of makes them even cuter <laughs> this is ghee which is clarified butter and my mom actually uses oil but uh having learned about nutrition through the years i try to use um more stable fats for the high heat cooking
0: so do you make your own ghee or do you buy that someplace in town
2: uh yeah i make it
1: the inviting smell of hot ghee warmed lots of homes in sunil's community he grew up in pittsburgh with his parents and sister and lots of other first generation indian americans
2: when you're in like a sizable first generation indian community like all your peers will like fall on that spectrum really kind of americanized and really still like retaining a lot of indianness and I, like, growing up fell, I think, more on the Americanized side of the spectrum, but I was also kind of on this hippie spiritual side of the spectrum as well, which, like, overlaps with Indian culture a lot. So, like, those pieces that that culture, like, really, like, grabbed onto, like Indian classical music and Hindu philosophy and Buddhist philosophy and all that kind of stuff, like, I was really holding on to in a deep way. But, like, the pop like Bollywood Indian culture was stuff that I was actually like shunning in a way and I would shun like any pop culture at that time now I'm kind of like more appreciative of pop culture but uh back then that's kind of where I fell on the spectrum and so I would think of myself as like being more Indian because I was into the super traditional Indian things whereas everyone else was into this like newfangled poppy stuff you know and so internally I'd be like oh, I'm like even like more appreciative in Indian culture than my parents because like I'm like studying the scriptures more and I'm listening to this like far out like Indian classical music and stuff like that.
1: However, the kitchen was a place where Sunil's mom shared her Indian traditions. And while Sunil feels free to
0: reinterpret her recipes to reflect the ingredients he grows on his farm, when he thinks back to where his love of food came from, he credits his mom.
2: Although I do lots of different styles now, I attribute everything to her and also to my family as a whole for like learning to taste and to discern what's good and not good. But she had my sister and I like going down the basement, and get some potatoes at the start and then chopping them. And then it was always like stuff we were watching and seeing. Didn't really care much when we were young. It wasn't until I went to college that I was like, oh man, I got to learn some of these things. I learned like super simple, like spiced rice dish that she would make for snack times. And then a super simple, like potato and onion dish. Those were the two things I went to college with. And then every time I'd go home, I'd learn more and more. I always ask her, how do you do this? Or how do you do that? And she's um, probably one of the better cooks amongst her peers in the Indian community in Pittsburgh, it's kind of publicly known that she's like one of the good ones kind of thing, you know?
1: (laughs) And by recording her recipes to memory and also you host suppers, do you feel like a preservationist in a way?
2: Yeah, definitely. My sister cooks a lot now too, but she hasn't like embraced the full gamut of it as I have. My mom and I have a special bond in that way, I feel, where she feels like it has been passed. So the mustard seeds are kind of popping like popcorn wood in in oil, in hot oil. And so it's actually like the mustard seeds are popping and breaking open in there. And they're also releasing this amazing aroma that's really similar to popcorn. And so this sound and this aroma, like when that happens at home, like that's like when like the stomach juices start to flow like a lot, you know? Because you know like the flavors are starting to get developed. Uh, Once the mustard seeds have done their thing for the most part, putting cumin seed in, whole cumin seed. I have the ghee off the heat right now so I can keep the cumin seeds from turning black. My mom always says, like, one of the signs of a good chef is if their cumin seeds are still light brown rather than black because they took the time to not burn them.
0: So that's why you're kind of moving it on and off the heat a little yeah. bit. Yeah.
2: yeah, now the cumin seeds are nicely toasted. You can smell them. Putting the uh, chopped garlic in. And the potatoes are going in. And garam masala. This is a prepackaged packaged garam masala made by Raja Company. And this is what my mom always used for kichidi. So to get that homey taste, I got to use this specific garam masala bl- blend.
0: Yeah, so often it's about those nostalgic ingredients, those nostalgic smells. And you have to really go by what, what you remember
2: definitely yeah like when i'm emotionally eating like this would be something i make you know like if i need to just zone out and feel totally safe and at home (laughs) then i'll make like a big pot of this and i'll eat it for like a whole week straight (laughs) like that's all i eat okay now that's coming to a boil i'm just gonna add the rice and mung beans. So we're boiling now, and I'm just going to turn the heat down to get it to come to a simmer. And then it's just waiting, which is another awesome thing about this dish is like, it's just like a 20-minute prep time, but I'm guessing this will take about 30, 45 minutes.
1: The kichidi is bubbling away on the stovetop. The smell of spices is in the air, so don't go away. We'll be back with more comfort food in just a moment. Skillet is brought to you by you. Thank you for
0: your donations. We're super grateful and we're almost ready to pack our suitcases.
1: Yes, we are so excited to travel for season two. And your support will help us get there. We definitely want to say thank you to everyone who donates, but we don't have funds for merch yet. Can't wait for those Skillet tote bags. And bandanas. Hold on, we're not quite there yet. But what we do have is pen and paper and good vibes. Like good Southern folk, we'll send you a handwritten thank you note to everyone who donates. With a skillet trading card. Collect all four colors. Okay, they're just our business cards, but they're really pretty, and they'd look great posted on your fridge or nestled in your recipe box. But seriously, you are an integral part of keeping this podcast alive. So head over to skilletpodcast.com to make a donation. And if your budget is tight, we totally get it. We've been there. But you can help us in other ways, like sharing this episode on social media. And showing your mom or grandma how to listen to a podcast. If you're new to the show, hit subscribe in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Transcripts and behind-the-scenes photos are on our website, skilletpodcast.com so check them out. Thanks for your support, friends. Let's get back to Sunil's kitchen, where a big pot of kichidi, which is rice and mung beans, kind of like lentils, it's simmering on the stove. It needs to cook for about 45 minutes, so we sit back at his kitchen table and talk for a while. You know, sometimes the best heart-to-hearts unfold when you're waiting for dinner to be ready. You're in kind of a meditative space. You're hungry, and all you have is time. And sometimes that leads to unexpected conversations, like when we got to talking about the person Sunil shares his home with. He lives with his partner, the first man he brought home to his family. Sunil talked about growing up gay in his Indian-American community and what it was like coming out to his immigrant parents. But first, we talk about his food justice projects. Like Patchwork Urban Farms. Like the name implies, it's not one big farm, but a network of gardens on different people's properties across town. Property owners lend their land to the farm, Sunil and his team grow the food, and landowners get fresh produce in return. The rest is sold to CSA members who invest in the farm in the beginning of the season and receive a box of vegetables every week in return. It's Sunil's dream, and while he points out that there's still a lot of work to be
0: done... The farm has grown a lot in the past five years.
2: The vision just kind of blew up because urban farming is like a really important thing, not only to maximize our agricultural yields as a city, but also as a social effort or effect. That includes like food access issues. It includes trying to shift notions of private property, creating neighborhood scale micro infrastructure that
0: can function for viable food systems in the city. Sunil is part of the team at Ujama Freedom Market, a mobile grocery truck that offers fresh produce on a
1: sliding scale. The project is still getting off the ground, but the goal is to promote social, economic, and food justice by increasing access to healthy food. The
2: kind of root problem of like food maldistribution is what we're really trying to affect. And I feel like a lot of what we do with like mobile groceries and things like that are ways to create alternate kind of economies in a way. We're hoping not only to like bring food out, but to also offer food at lower prices to those that need lower prices, but at the same time support farmers' livelihoods, which are two kind of opposing goals that work kind of against each other. And so we're actually hoping to like visit not only like neighborhoods in need, so to speak, but also neighborhoods that have resources and so we can start to be kind of tools to spread wealth
1: where does this notion of food justice as you see it where does it come from did someone plant the seed in sunil or did you see something that motivated you to start all of these projects i don't know how you keep track of all of them Uh,
2: Like, eating food and cooking was, like, big in my family, but the farming side was not. Although it's, like, only two generations removed in my dad's side of the family. Like, my great-grandfather was a farmer in India, but my grandfather moved to the city from the farm, and so my dad was a total city boy, and my mom's family was city people for a long time. And so I lived in Japan for a while, and I was in a village there, and so farming was all around me, and that's when... I was like, oh my gosh, this whole other side of, like, what I love is something I have no idea about. (laughs) And so I started delving really deep into it. But it is because of my family, I feel like, because that whole, like, initial connection with food was there from the start.
0: What do they think of your farming now? Like, what do they think of this career that you've found for yourself?
2: Well, I broke them in by studying anthropology in college which is totally unconventional in being a first-generation Indian. It's usually like you go towards getting a medical degree or not so much being an engineer these days, but back in the 70s, that was the case. And then uh, go towards technology, computer science type stuff or go towards just business. So it was all unconventional, starting with the anthropology. And then when the farming thing came in, they didn't quite understand, but maybe, like, uncharacteristically of their peer group, they were, like, really trusting in me and in my decisions. So even though there was probably some concern, there was still allowance, (laughs) whereas, like, some of my peers might not have had some allowances in that way um, because there was a stricter mentality about life choices and that kind of thing. I feel really blessed in that way where there was an allowance for that. And then... In the process of starting all of that, I was, like, proselytizing, like, don't drink non-organic milk. And they totally, like, bought, drank the Kool-Aid with that whole, like, natural food thing. So that was really cool to be able to have them value my inputs in that way. And now, like, they, I think they're still concerned about, like... And anyone should... I am concerned as well about the viability of having a farm as a business (laughs) because it's incredibly difficult to make work. There's probably some of that concern. But at the same time, I've been like so lucky and drama-free my entire life that everyone, me included, just feels like, oh, everything's kind of going to work out for Sunil kind of thing. (laughs) So I think there's a little bit of that in there too.
1: Drama-free, and yet there have been nights where you needed to make (laughs) Kichidi. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, running a business, having a farm where crop failures happen. and Farms are really stressful, really stressful. Um, I've kind of gained control over the emotional stress with farming that's there since I've been doing it for 15-plus years now. Like, if I have a crop failure, it doesn't affect me as much as it used to. <laughs> but any business is just like, you can never finish like nothing's ever finished
1: <laughs> which can be
2: pretty physically and emotionally stressful.
1: You were describing moments in your life where you would cook because just out of emotion, out of, you know, having a craving for that comfort. Can you kind of paint a picture for us of a moment where where you were just like I got to make this?
2: Yeah. Um it's kind of hard to define like what my emotional state is cuz usually I have to like meditate in order to define my emotional state at all (laughs) and I don't do that enough (laughs) but it's like a combination of like hunger like deep hunger um physical tiredness and kind of like a melancholy or depressed state in some way and that melancholy depression comes from many sources it could be like relational things or pure like confusion about next steps or and like recreating that kind of total safe feeling of home where there's no like question of security and safety.
0: One of those times Sunil was seeking that feeling of acceptance was when he came out to his parents.
1: For a long time he wasn't comfortable telling them he's gay.
2: That was a big worry growing up because a kind of like conservative Hindu Indian family tends to not think of that as a reality um, growing up in India. So I kept it from them for a long time, but I told them on one of my 20s birthdays, I forget which one, because I was like, this is my day. (laughs) I'm going to tell them. So I did. And it went, I, I was never fearful of being thrown out of the house because of like what I was talking about of their, like, dedication to their children. Um, So that wasn't a fear, but the fear was that everything would be so weird all the time and tense and not acceptable and that kind of thing. And so there was, like, a time after I came out that uh, we all swept it under the rug. There was nothing relevant. I had a boyfriend before I told them, but we broke up soon after I told them, so there was no material to work with. (laughs) So we all swept it under the rug and I'm naturally like really bad at keeping um, phone connection going and that kind of thing. And that kind of just got worse um, because I couldn't share that piece. And so I just couldn't share anything in a way. And so I had to write this like long letter explaining that. And that just flipped everything like almost immediately. The letter read like an ultimatum to them. I didn't really mean that, but it kind of was it was like if I can't share everything then how can I share some or anything
1: you live here with your partner Charlie have your parents met him
2: yes yeah they um I introduced them pretty quickly after we met because it felt serious pretty soon after we met it was like okay hey Charlie kind of thing and then Charlie is like the prototypical Indian son-in-law Um, because of that hospitable skill that he has. Like he's constantly thinking of everyone's needs and a good son-in-law is thinking of his parents-in-law's needs at all times and like putting them first, you know? And so he does that just naturally for everyone. And so it just like worked out where like he just became like such a good character in all ways except for his um, gender identity. (laughs) for as a suitable partner you know <laughs> um, and also he's like supported me being able to like devote so much into this farm that's gonna take a while to actually like allow me to make an income from so he's supporting me in so many super significant ways as well and I'm, I think they see that it's probably done Is it ready should we eat? Yeah. Spicy. I hope you like spicy. I do like spicy. <laughs> awesome. And there's plenty, so if you want seconds.
0: Mm. So much flavor. That's
1: fantastic. <laughs> Sunil, thanks so much for talking with us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Sunil.
2: Likewise. Thank you.
1: That kichidi was so delicious. I'm glad we got seconds. Sunil is such an awesome host. He even sent us home with leftovers. It was just as good the second day. I can see why it's a comfort food. The warm spices, soft rice, hearty mung beans, and that dollop of yogurt mellowed it out so nicely. A big thank you to Sunil for the meal and for opening up with us so deeply. We want to tell you where to find more information about all of Sunil's projects, Links to Patchwork Urban Farms, Ujamaa Freedom Market, and Sunil's Indian Suppers are in our show notes. And check out the the behind-the-scenes photos and transcript on our website, skilletpodcast.com. While you're there, consider making a donation. We'd love your help making
0: Season 2. Special thanks to our digital producer, Rich Orris, for our logo and website, and the delicious homemade pizza he made while we were editing this episode.
1: If you liked this story, share it on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Skillet Podcast. Coming up next time on Skillet. Santiago Vargas left Lima, Peru, a culinary capital of South America, to find love in Asheville, North Carolina.
0: The energy of Asheville is magical. And a lot of people come here from different countries, on my country too, like, wow. Something magical here. Now Santiago shares some of his country's most popular dishes with his adopted hometown
1: through his Peruvian food truck. We climb on board to make seco, a stew that's full of tender beef and zesty cilantro. Come back in two weeks for another serving of skillet.